why is it so hard to admit we need help? Uh, maybe the better question is, why is there something inside of each of us that wants to show that we don't need help? Uh, most times it's for silly things, right? Uh, carrying something, uh, asking what a word means before texting someone from Gen Z. Gen Z. Uh, other times it can be much more serious, uh, admitting we need help with an addiction, uh, admitting, admitting we need help financially. By admitting we need help, we think that means we're less than, uh, maybe not meeting some standard, that we are farther from our goals than we would like. However, what if admitting we needed help actually meant we were not far at all? Today we're going to continue talking about a disruptive story that should have died in Rome, but it didn't. It's the story of Jesus of Nazareth, as told by Simon Peter, one of Jesus' most famous disciples. Uh, Peter dictated it too, and it was edited by John Mark. Now, John Mark traveled with Peter, and he heard him tell the story of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark was either with Peter, as Peter was imprisoned in Rome, and Peter really isn't going to leave the city alive, unfortunately. And Mark either had Peter recount the life of Jesus while writing it down, while Peter was arrested, or Mark maybe recorded the stories he heard Peter tell over and over in their travels together. Mark's document of Peter's account of the life of Jesus comes to us as the book or the gospel of Mark. And this document is collected with the other accounts of Jesus' life, uh, the letters of a few others, and then in the fourth century it's sort of given the name of the Bible. Uh, for some of you, the Bible is a big problem, and I get that. But I would encourage you to listen to what we will read today, because Mark wasn't writing the Bible. Mark was documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. So, as we read this account of the life of Jesus, remember, Peter shared this information as an eyewitness of all the events with Jesus, conversations of Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus from the beginning was, verse 15 of, of Mark chapter 1, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. And the kingdom of God is near because the king is near, which means you're not far from the kingdom. But you're also not far from the king. And Jesus invites us to respond to the fact that God is doing something new, this new kingdom, and the appropriate response is to repent and believe the good news. Now, if the religion you were brought up on wasn't good news, it might not have been Peter's version. That Jesus wanted people to turn and sort of face and embrace this new way of living, this new way of relating, this new way of understanding God the Father and this new kind of love that he was introducing to the world. So last week, we started looking at a trio of disruption, uh, these three paradigm-shifting, disruptive instances with Jesus. We looked at the first two last week, um, that Jesus ignored certain religious protocols, and Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sin. That when Jesus disrupts you, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Which brings us today to the third disruptive instance. We'll look at how Jesus was uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. We're going to be starting in Mark chapter 2. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner. Select events and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, Mark chapter 2, beginning verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, if you don't know, tax collectors in these times were basically crooks. Uh, they worked for the government and could collect as much tax as they could get as long as the government got their share. And the government didn't really care how much extra they collected. So, for example, the tax collector could ask for 40% of people's income, even though the government only asked for 10%. And these tax collectors would just sort of pocket the extra 30% for themselves. 
And they were doing this to their own people in many cases. So the people obviously hated these tax collectors. And consequently, if a Jewish man became a tax collector for the government, he would be despised by the people in the Jewish community, and in some cases despised by his own family. Now, to make matters worse for Levi, who's referenced in this story, he was working for a very unpopular governor, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had just recently had John the Baptist executed, and the people loved John the Baptist. So the people hate the governor, and they hate anyone who works for the governor, and they certainly hate a Jewish man that's working for the governor that everyone hates. So Levi is not in good standing with his community. And then this group of Jesus and his followers uh, walk by Levi, who was also known as Matthew. Uh, Jesus sees Levi, or Matthew, and does something Peter would have a very, very hard time with. He said, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, in this third act of disruption, Peter tells us that Jesus would walk over to this despised man, the tax collector, and invited him into our group. Like, what was he doing? The situation was quite different from the first two situations that we talked about last week. The, Peter might say, forgiving a paralyzed man's sins, like, that's great, but really, how much sin could he have committed? But Jesus, everyone knows the sins that Levi commits because he's still doing them. Like, Jesus touching that leper was, was quite strange, but we got through that. But rubbing shoulders with a tax collector? This will cause irreversible damage to your reputation, and this is going to offend everyone, from the working class to the religious class. This is a lose-lose situation, Jesus, especially if he follows us. Like, why would we invite Levi into our group? And Jesus would say, The kingdom of God has come. Everyone is invited to participate, even people like Levi, who had betrayed their own people out of greed. And interestingly, later, Peter would eventually probably confess that even people like him, who abandoned his Savior out of fear, and Peter records this account to make sure that people like you and people like me, people like Peter and Levi, people who fill in the blank, people with their baggage from their past are invited to follow and participate in the kingdom of God. But in this moment, Peter would have to wonder, is everyone invited to participate in this brand new kingdom with this brand new king? It's so unsettling and quite disturbing, Peter might say. But this Jesus way would continue to collide with Peter's way and with Peter's fear and insecurity and prejudice just like it continues to collide with my fear, my insecurity, and my prejudice. And when you decide to follow Jesus, it will collide with your way, your fear, your insecurity, and your prejudice as well. But it is the better way, and it's the way forward. So when Jesus invited Levi to join the group, Peter and the others really have a decision to make. Do we walk away, save our reputation, and let Jesus sort of start a new group? Or do we repent, sort of change our way of thinking, change the direction, and believe this good news? Like, Jesus, do you have no standards? Like, are there no restrictions to whom you would invite to follow you? That Peter and the others have a decision to make at this point. Do we walk away, save our reputation, and sort of let Jesus start a new group? Or do we repent and sort of change our thinking, change our direction, and believe this good news? And then it gets worse, though. Verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Now, this is wrong on so many levels. Like, dinner at someone uh, else's home now is a bit more intimate than going to a restaurant, uh, especially with the pandemic. But it was also intimate and symbolic in Jesus' day that this dinner implied acceptance of everyone who was there for dinner. And then it gets even worse because Peter says, well, it wasn't just us five and Levi, verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors, and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Basically, Levi invites the whole office 
to dinner at his house. And by this time, Jesus is sort of being shadowed by the Pharisees, a group of religious leaders. And they shadow Jesus because Jesus' teaching is so disruptive. A new kind of kingdom. The kingdom of God is near. His teaching is so disruptive, which is why they're shadowing him. And they shadow him all the way to Levi's house. However, these religious leaders don't dare step across the threshold because that would make them ceremonially unclean. Verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And they asked this question for really two reasons. Number one, uh, these people eating with Jesus are sinners. Like, why is Jesus doing this? And then number two, the religious leaders were probably, uh, really hadn't had any time with Jesus. And so they were just jealous. Like, we can't even get coffee with Jesus. And we can't even get any of his undivided attention. And now he's eating with the worst of the worst. And Jesus is a rabbi who, who's supposed to speak on behalf of God. Well, he should know better than this. When Jesus hears about the conversation, he does not apologize. In fact, he sort of doubles down on it. Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And at this point, Levi and his guests are probably eating and they're like, are you calling us sick? And Jesus basically says, well, no offense, Levi, but you and your friends are all sick. And they sort of looked at each other and then they remembered what they had been doing. And somehow it wasn't offensive, it doesn't seem like. Because in some way, uh, really what Levi continues to do after this, and we see him continue to follow Jesus, we see that Levi is somehow ready to acknowledge his sickness. He's ready to acknowledge his sinfulness. So let's pause for a moment. Imagine for a moment that Levi, someone that will likely be forgotten when he dies, because Levi is an embarrassment to his nation and his family. Think about what hung in the balance of Levi's decision to sort of open up his heart and open up his life and his mind and acknowledge, there's something wrong with me. I need help. So let me ask you, and then we're going to continue on with the story. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to admit that you need help? The answer is no, you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to admit that you need help. That there's something on the inside of you, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your closest friends, your kids, maybe the people who love you that say, you need help. It might be something to do with Christianity. It might be something to do with uh, your drinking or a habit that you might have. But you need help. I'm at least a little bit like Levi and that I am sick and I need help as well. And, and you at least are a little bit like Levi and that you are sick and you need help. That you and I, like Levi and really like everyone, have been given an opportunity. You've been given an invitation. That admitting you need help really opens up a world, a freedom, a peace, a different level of relationship with God and others that perhaps you know nothing about unless you admit that you need help. And I just want you to know that every single day of your life, there's an open invitation from your Savior to follow him into that kind of world, into that kind of freedom, into that kind of new life. Okay, back to the story. Uh, Jesus says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And suddenly this group of followers that was really so different from each other, Jesus says to them, everyone I call is a sinner, but particularly those who know they are sinners. I'm calling everyone to this new way, this new kingdom. And now here's something that we sort of miss about ancient times. In ancient times, religions really didn't try to get people to convert to a different religion. Pagans didn't really try to convert Jews to paganism. And Jews didn't really try to go out and try to convert pagans to become Jewish. That in ancient times, the gods were sort of just like apps. 
You want your crops to grow, you want your babies to be healthy, you want your house not to fall down on you, you want to be victorious in war. Well, there's a God for that. And this is just how people thought in the ancient world. Uh, you didn't ask people to sort of abandon their gods in order to embrace your God. You sort of have them add your God to their gods, their existing gods. It was just sort of like another bur burger on the grill. That I got these six household gods, and what does your God do? Okay, great, I'll just add that to my collection, so now I've got seven household gods. Like, almost no one converted from one religion to another. They just sort of changed the names of the gods, and then they just, or just added gods. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm inviting you to leave something. I'm inviting you to, to abandon something. And I'm inviting you to embrace something brand new. And the reason that Jesus invited Levi, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the reason that Jesus extends that invitation to you is because the time has come and the wait is over. All the other pagan religions, all the other religions of the world, it all pointed to the time when God was going to reveal himself in such a way that the entire world would be invited to know a brand new kind of kingdom. A kingdom that has come near, which means that you're not far. You are sort of one turn away, one decision away, one change of direction away. And it was Jesus' pursuit of sinners and the unrighteous that illustrated the disruptive and revolutionary nature of the kingdom of God. That you didn't have to be born into a certain part of the world. You didn't have to have to understand certain religious or cultural customs. You didn't have to speak a specific language. You didn't have to have a specific heritage or background. That everyone is invited to this kingdom. That Jesus went out of his way and went out to invite people in. Now Peter is going to move from this instance at Levi's house, uh, this last of the disruptive trio, to one of Jesus' favorite metaphors. That Peter and Jesus want to make sure that the audience gets this point and really the contrast between Jesus' kingdom and the kingdoms and religions of this world. And so here's what Jesus said in verse 21. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And now Jesus' audience, they all understood this because people never threw away clothes in the ancient times. Uh, cloth was expensive, so if clothing ripped or tore, you didn't just throw it away and replace it, you patched it. And so if you were going to patch it, you wouldn't use a new, unshrunk piece of cloth. Otherwise, when the new cloth shrinks, it will pull away from the old, which makes an even bigger tear. Verse 22, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. The, wine, the old wineskins, rather, were sort of stretched, and they were old, and they were brittle. And Jesus teaches us modern-day people that new wine and old wineskins will burst the wineskins, and then the wine and the container are ruined. And Jesus' point was that this new teaching, this new worldview, this uh, new kingdom of God, was like the new wine. That the message of Jesus was like the new cloth and the new wine, and the mental image of a torn cloth and burst wineskins sort of punctuated the impossibility of trying to blend Jesus' new message with the current cultural system, and in this case, the first century Judaism. That Jesus would say, I have not come to blend anything. You can't blend what I'm teaching onto what you already have. And you cannot pour what I'm teaching into the container of your life that you've already developed. It's all new. That we can't attempt to blend Jesus' worldview, his values, and his teaching with the system of Rome. With the kingdoms of this world, that the worldview Jesus is establishing cannot blend with the kingdom of finance, politics, religion, and selfish ambition. At least not of this world. So as we wrap up our time together, uh, two things. Um, first, 
if you are a sinner, you are invited to follow Jesus. In other words, if you are someone who is willing to acknowledge like Levi did, something's wrong with me. Something's broken in me. I fall short of my own standards. I can't dig myself out of my own hole. I can't be the husband I swore to be. I can't be the wife that I want to be. I can't be the parent I want to be. I can't even seem to control my mouth. I need help. And the good news of Jesus is that God accepts sinners and invites them into his kingdom. And that invitation is wide open to you, that you are invited to begin today, from wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are invited to start following Jesus. No matter what you've got going on, if, if you were in the first century, Jesus would have sought you out and invited you as you are to take a step and follow him. He would come to your door and knock and invite himself in. So follow Jesus. Uh, second, if you are a Jesus follower, you are invited to yield to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. That when your will bumps up against Jesus' will, just say yes to Jesus. And here's the great thing. You're not saying yes to a list. You're not saying yes to a law. You're saying yes to a person that left us with one single, all-encompassing, but terrifying command. He said, you are to treat people the way that I have treated you. You are to love one another as I have loved you. So follow me into this different way of living, this different worldview. Now, this isn't an add-on to your current way of living or seeing the world. This is an invitation to say yes to Jesus. Again, you're not following a list or a law, but a person, a person who came for you and who invites you because he loves you. Because no matter who you are or what situation you find yourself in, when you admit you need help, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You may feel that God can't forgive you. You may feel far from God. But because of Jesus, you are not far. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for all the, all the way that he lived this out. And he uh, would interact with people that were despised and tax collectors and, and labeled as sinners. And he would invite them to come follow him. And it's so sort of reassuring in some ways. Because for those of us who know we're sinners and we know we've messed up, we can't even follow our own standards. For those of us like that, this is comforting to know that we can follow you, that you would invite us to follow you as well. But God, for those who maybe this makes a little bit uncomfortable and they're not so sure about everyone being able to follow Jesus, would you please help their hearts to be open to you? That maybe that you would be able to help them to repent and sort of shift their view a little bit towards how you see the world, this new kingdom that you came to bring. God, would you help us to realize when we need to admit we need help? Would you help us to call out to you for help? God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Would you please help us to seek help from you, to seek help from others, to seek help from whoever it might be that you would put in our lives that could help us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.